You're listening to the Living Leadership Podcast, Growing Disciple-Making Leaders. The following address by Jonathan Lamb is on the subject of grace and integrity. It is taken from the book of 2 Corinthians and was delivered at the 2008 Living Leadership Pastoral Refreshment Conference. Just in the past week or two, um, BBC Two has run some programmes, the Horizons programme, looking particularly at the consequences of isolation on individuals. You may have seen the programmes. It's well known, in fact, amongst uh, social commentators that people who live alone, and there are now many more such people in Britain living alone, um, social commentators call them rather heartlessly civic atoms, and such people growing in number around uh, our country, particularly the elderly, do suffer a series of consequences by virtue of their loneliness. Um, Undoubtedly, older people particularly uh, suffer a great deal more stress by virtue of isolation, but there are even physical symptoms which now are noted, including um, potential uh, increase in heart disease, higher blood pressure and the like. But this particular uh, Horizon program last week uh, narrowed the issue even more sharply. It was an experiment which was to demonstrate how isolation skews our perspective in all kinds of ways. Uh, Complete isolation, even in a matter of hours, can affect people's memory, uh, their capacity to solve problems, and also, uh, within a day or two, creates distorted impressions and even hallucinations. And you may have read the articles in the papers as well as the Horizon program, which demonstrates how quickly and rapidly that deterioration occurs when a person uh, suffers from that kind of sensory deprivation. Of course, uh, loneliness is not at all uncommon amongst uh, Christian workers. And whilst that loneliness may not have the extreme impact that the kind of sensory deprivation in the experiment displayed. Nevertheless, I think we know it can have a range of unhealthy impacts. Um, one of the problems, I think, in our type of work is that we end up with a lot of acquaintances, um, but not too many friends. Uh, that's added to if you're in this type of work where you're moving post regularly or you're moving from one city to another every few years in terms of your work. And the trouble is with that, that a lot of people uh, know your public face, but they don't know the real you. Not many people know you well. Um, Spouses feel that, sometimes even more acutely. Um, Wives, uh, paradoxically, may be in the midst of a, a busy home and a busy work, and yet often feel this isolation quite acutely, even in the midst of activity. So in this session I wanted just to draw out a few lessons uh, from partly my own experience but most particularly from Paul's experience in relation to this issue of the pressures and the opportunities in leadership as they relate to loneliness but also friendship or teamwork. So um, if you have a Bible with you, I do hope you do, um, let's look at the verses at the end of 2 Timothy 4 and uh, I will try and cluster a few ideas um, together from this particular passage. It's a lovely uh, personal testimony at the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 9. We'll read uh, from 9 if we, uh, to the, at the end, I think we just about have time. 2 Timothy 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me quickly, Timothy. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. 
Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed my message, our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. It is um, one of the most moving parts of uh, Paul's writing, don't you agree? It represents his closing testimony. Um, it's expressed in very personal terms. We know, of course, uh, now his life is coming to a close. He uses various images in chapter 4 in his opening verses, verse 6 onwards, to refer to the fact that his time of departure is coming. He's about to slacken the guy ropes, pull up the pegs, fold up the tent, sail out of the harbour, whatever uh, image you want to use there. Um, he was about to hand over his leadership, of course, to uh, Timothy. The other important thing to remember, that any kind of friendship with Paul at this point in his life, any association with Paul, would be a quite a dangerous exercise. The context was one of fierce persecution. So it's no surprise when you read this list that there were a number of converts who disowned Paul or even abandoned him and abandoned the faith. Association with him would have been quite a costly business. And Christians in Rome, we know, uh, were rounded up by Nero and were executed in some quite unspeakably horrid ways. Now Paul had been taken prisoner, and as uh, verse 17 shows, he was brought to Rome and subjected to persecution. He was virtually cut off from the outside world, and uh, chained in a dungeon, as he explains in chapter 1, he was pretty isolated. Despite those uh, facts, in prison, close to death, feeling the pains of his mortality, the things we were looking at yesterday, this letter, as you know, is extraordinarily positive. It's a wonderful, short letter. It's almost triumphant, you could say. He felt the job was done, uh, the race was just about finished, he'd kept the faith. And yet the final section, which we've just read, is a surprising piece of writing, at least I find it so. Why conclude the letter, and indeed the body of all of his writings as an apostle with a list of names. It is the concluding paragraph of his life, as someone has put it. Now, if you were in the final days of your life and uh, you are there in hospital or in your bed at home, what would you reflect on? Would you ask people to bring your framed university degrees, uh, your theological diplomas? No, we would want our friends, we would want our colleagues, we would want our family members around us. And it's one of the most significant legacies of Paul, I think, that we might sometimes miss, and that is people. This is what comes to Paul's mind in the isolation of that uh, Roman imprisonment at the end of his life. 
his friends. Um, it's a little bit of a surprise, not only that he should conclude his writing in this way, but there, there are so many people he mentions. Um, I've always had this image of Paul as being something of the, uh, the entrepreneur, the solo operator, uh, you know, the missionary pioneer, the apostle, on his own, out there, against all odds. Um, in fact, that's not the case. If you look in the New Testament, something like 70 people by name are associated with Paul. We'd never know of those 70 people were it not for the link with Paul. And there are many others who are unnamed who are associated with him. The other thing, just um, by way of observation, that uh, is another um, false idea of Paul, as Mike Griffiths puts it, is that people think of him as a superhero clad in emotional asbestos. Um, and that's not true. You just need to read these closing paragraphs to see how much he needs the friendship and the support and the warmth and something to keep his mind occupied and uh, all of the things which he lists uh, in the closing section of his inspired writings. Do your best to come to me quickly, he says to Timothy. So it is an unusual section of scripture, but I want to point out several lessons of why we need others, uh, particularly by virtue of the loneliness which we experience. Um, I know that the literature on leadership has shifted, and certainly when uh, in the 80s and the 90s uh, the, the theme of uh, leadership did emphasize this high-powered entrepreneur, uh, the, the big personality, the larger-than-life leader, um, the charismatic person who was out there leading the way. Now all of the literature has shifted quite rightly um, towards the idea of plurality, even in the uh, corporate sector. It is plural leadership which is emphasized and that's absolutely right because it is entirely biblical. That is the biblical model in my view. Happy to talk about it afterwards if you uh, slightly disagree with me. Um, but I think the shift towards plurality is a much healthier environment for our Christian ministry. Um, realistically though, um, loneliness is very common. Um, I think amongst us it's probably almost avoidable at times in our Christian ministry. I did wonder if we had a moment um, whether we could um, just discuss this in groups. We won't do so, but um, let me just ask that question and feel free to um, give me your answers if they come to the top of your head. What are the causes of loneliness in Christian ministry? What kinds of things provoke this feeling of isolation or loneliness? Perhaps you don't have this, but um, any, any quick thoughts? What, what pushes us to loneliness? Being the only worker in the church. Yeah, and uh, there's you know, a simple institutional structural reason that some of us are um, not in huge teams. Um, I'm in a church that has 17 staff, and uh, not all of us have that luxury. I've got friends in uh, California with 800 staff on their church. Um, but um, obviously, not everybody. Yeah, what else? John? Sorry. Yes, I think there's a personal agenda that forces a degree of isolation and maintaining an image of whatever kind which can isolate us. Sorry, there's another... I was going to say, say you know, the feeling that if you, if you were honest, then that would undermine your ministry in some way. Yes. So this issue of transparency, which I'll refer to in a moment, that uh, uh, we, lock, we lock down for fear of um, damaging uh, the perceived image that we are cultivating very carefully. Yes. Yes. That, that's very valid, isn't it? Um, the denominational boundaries, even within the evangelical community, I think most of us observe a greater fracturing, a greater isolation emerging, which we need to be 
fighting against them, which this conference is valiantly fighting against too. Yeah? What else? The expectations uh, of others. No, go ahead, John. Just the expectations of others that um, other people in the church may not have read the most recent books and be working with series that you mentioned earlier. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's very common that you can here and then Yes. Yes. Um, uh, that's a very common uh, uh, common challenge. Uh, one of the churches in which Margaret and I um, served for some while was only about 30 members. There were very few peers, you know, who were our generation understood the kinds of things we were doing. We were caring for children. Uh, we had elderly parents living with us, caring for them. Uh, in a small church, you're asked. Uh, we had nine or ten jobs which we were asked to do within the church, alongside the other work we were meant to be doing. And that creates that kind of uh, isolation. Nobody quite understands me. Nobody really um, is, is linking with me. So it's a very common in smaller environments. That's sort of, uh, we paid them to care for us. Ah, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So there's, no, there's not always a reciprocal um, arrangement there. That, that can be overcome, but it's a challenge. Last one. Conflict, yes, thank you. Um, Paul is very direct about it, we won't touch on it here, but you could actually look at the issue of conflict from this chapter as well. Um, that is extremely uh, demanding and does often create a, this strong sense of isolation in the midst of those difficulties, especially if there's nobody within that community with whom you can talk about the issue. So. Well, um, as I say, realistically, all of those things happen to us. Um, there may be uh, institutional lack of finances, lack of team, it might be the tradition of the church, it might be the, the personal issues, it might be our own temperament, maybe our working style. A lot of things create this kind of isolation. So uh, this is why I think this little uh, section in, in 2 Timothy 4 is valuable. I offer four reasons why we need others. They're very obvious, but I uh, remind myself and you. First, supportive friendship. Um, the references to Paul's uh, friends here seem to cluster in a number of ways. I'll do my best to, uh, to move quite quickly through them. Um, first of all, only Luke is with me, he says in verse 11. In fact, Luke was probably the closest of Paul's friends, as far as we can tell. Um, he may well have been the person who was writing down what Paul dictated here in 2 Timothy, his sort of literary assistant. Um, he speaks of him in very affectionate terms. In Colossians, he says he's the beloved physician. And probably, although Luke was responsible for um, writing 52 chapters of the New Testament, he's a very humble member of, of Paul's team. He's a very close friend. He was supporting Paul on missionary journeys. Um, if you think about those catalogues of suffering we were looking at last night from 2 Corinthians, uh, probably Paul, as the physician, was right alongside Paul in some of those uh, difficult moments of beating and stoning, shipwrecks and imprisonment. Here was a very close friend. Um, then also in the list, you'll notice uh, Carpus, verse 13. Bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially my parchments. He's still um, working, Paul, there in the prison at that age. And Carpus was obviously a friend, uh, obviously uh, a host to Paul and there were many such supportive friends verse 19 hello, I've, oh, I think I've hit the wrong button uh, verse 19 Anesiphorus 
Um, earlier in the letter, chapter 1, the, the reference is on the screen there, um, he had, uh, Paul says that the Nesiphorus had frequently refreshed him without being ashamed of my imprisonment. Verse 17, when he was Rome, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So here's a friend uh, with uh, a complete identification with Paul, not ashamed of the challenges that Paul faced, uh, searching him out, showing him a great deal of kindness. So these are the brothers who come to mind in these closing moments of Paul's life. Not the high-profile leaders, actually. You don't read too much about Carpus and Nesiphorus elsewhere. But the close friends, the mates who helped him in all kinds of practical ways. As I've said, um, I think for some of us, um, this kind of supportive friendship um, can be hard to find. Uh, not always is it our fault. We can become quite isolated, um, sometimes for the reasons we've mentioned, um, but very often it is to do with our, our uh, own agenda. Let me re- um, refer to a book. It's called Going the Distance. I don't know if any of you have seen this by Peter Brain. Um, it, it caught my eye um, at my stage in life, how to stay fit for a lifetime of ministry. Mine's almost over, I think, but uh, I thought I would uh, just see how I can do the final... The final uh, Kilometers um, with some more help. Um, in that book, of course, he naturally refers to this question of friendship. Once we allow ourselves to minister under God, not as God, we will be able to open the door to those who want to build friendships with us, recognizing our need for the support that friends can bring to us. Um, he fills that out in terms of the uh, sometimes unnecessary independence that we adopt in terms of our ministry, sometimes the unnecessary hierarchies that we build in Christian ministry. Um, He quotes from another book called Pastors at Risk by uh, London and Wiseman. Many keep themselves emotionally isolated because they fear being upstaged. I think that's what John and uh, this other brother were saying a moment ago. They're troubled that someone might see this weakness if they get too close. Therefore, they keep their distance from others because the facts are not as good as people think. None of this sounds like the relational pattern of Jesus, and, and indeed nor of Paul. And sometimes it's the nature of our work which makes it a challenge in terms of friendships. Sometimes the antisocial hours I, in church-based ministry every evening and every weekend I remember being totally absorbed um, with, with uh, issues which made it rather difficult to, uh, to build these supportive friendships. Um, in fact, we had to become very deliberate in uh, building those friendships and indeed sustaining those friendships Um, It's not just a matter of Facebook, it's actually also um, taking time out deliberately. We have a number of friends now scattered around the country, and my wife is always saying to Jonathan, they've written, they'd like to have a meal with us. You know, we need to meet meet somewhere in London or somewhere in Essex or whatever to have a meal with them. And when we get our diaries running and we plan up to 2011 or whatever it might be, and you think, uh, more meetings, but actually it's not. It's critical in terms of sustaining um, our, our very long-term friendships with a, a lovely group of supportive friends uh, that both my wife and I need and benefit from. In fact, um, in terms of, of spouses, if I may, one other point which has been really helpful to me um, has been actually my wife's own ability um, to build bridges. Um, that may not be the case for everyone in the room, of course, uh, uh, it's harder work sometimes as, as single people. 
Um, but it was a great help to me in, in uh, church-based work that my wife was cultivating a range of friendships, particularly with non-Christians. We had kids in the play, you know, when you meet mums in the playground. Um, there were friends we met through school. Um, she was a teacher at the time and also had a, a range of friendships. All of that gave us a network for which I was very thankful. I'm not as good at being a bit more of an introvert at this issue, but um, it was a very important uh, partnership um, in those friendships. Well, um, there's much more we could say about that, but I think this deliberate, uh, intentional friendship building is really important for us. We should not think ourselves above it. It's really a critical element in going the distance. Um, linked to it is another um, idea, which isn't quite so strong in this passage, but I did want to include it, because I think two words go together. Um, in my experience in, in Christian organizations, um, support and accountability are two words which belong together. So there is uh, the necessary aspect of uh, supportive friendship, but there is also responsible accountability. Um, you may remember, in, ter in terms of Paul's life, there were a number of moments when, when that's triggered, most particularly this example I give on the screen, Acts 14. Uh, Paul and Barnabas sailed back to Antioch, where they'd been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them, how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there for a long time with the disciples. And the obvious thing, of course, uh, about that uh, section is first an accountability to God himself. That's our primary accountability as, as Christians and as Christian workers. They, um, all that God had done through them, all that God had done with them, is what they reported. It's an acknowledgement that it was God who was doing the work and they were accountable to him. Um, that's a very strong theme throughout 2 Corinthians. Um, as we might look at briefly tomorrow morning, and that's partly why this little book on integrity has the, the subtitle, Leading with God Watching, because all the time Paul realized that he was accountable to the Lord himself. Um, but for the purposes of this session, of course, what really mattered in that uh, reporting back was accountability within community. They gathered the church together and they reported. Um, that was clearly a wonderful way in which Paul could encourage the fellow believers in Antioch, but it's also a significant ingredient in our own ministry. Um, we must be accountable to others. Um, and patterns of support and accountability are, again, in my experience, quite difficult to find. Good models of support and accountability uh, that help us in moments of isolation and loneliness. There are various ways in which it's done in formal terms. Uh, you might have a PCC, or you might have elders, or you might have a church meeting. Uh, in some organizations, um, there are boards, of course. I'm accountable to rather too many of those. Um, they're quite important in formal terms as structures of support and strategic guidance. But in my view, rarely do they work in terms of accountability. Um, we need accountability to keep focused, but it's very easy to misuse that in Christian organizations. You manipulate situations for your own benefit. I've sat in board meetings where the person reporting is the only source of information. So he, basically the board only knows, or the, the elders only know what the, the individual is telling them. And uh, that in itself um, is not a strong structure of accountability. Um, there are many ways in which we can create um, stronger patterns of support and accountability. Again, uh, I have this as a question. Have you seen or experienced any good models of how support and accountability works well? 
Um, and I think for the sake of time we won't break out into groups to pursue that, but it is a very important uh, theme. What are the ways uh, in Christian community and in our Christian work, and we're, we, we're all in unique situations, where we can build this kind of support and accountability? Um, there is a trend, I notice, for some of that to be outside of our church or outside of the organization we're working for. And there are some benefits to that, there are also some losses. And the ideal seems to me to be a combination of shared ministry, shared leadership, plurality, which has support and trust and accountability built into it wherever that's possible. Um, yesterday morning I was at another um, conference and we were discussing this so I'll just offer it to you um, it's a grid of, of uh, ideas in relation to this question of support and accountability um, there are some things that we know which other people know and that's public this is beginning to sound like Donald Rumsfeld I need to tell you about it <laughs> there are some things which we know and others don't know and uh, those are secrets. Then there are some things we don't know and others do know. Those are our blind spots. And there, there are some things which we don't know and others don't know. And those are mysteries. So let's just look at those for a moment. The first one, things known to both us and to others you know, in our immediate uh, community. Um, those are the public facts. Now, I think it's true to say that we should try to get as much as possible into this category. Uh, that's why I use this phrase, get, getting it above the waterline. That the problem is that many of us push a great deal below the waterline. The only thing that we know and others know is a relatively limited section of our life. So in the, in the second category, we know plenty about ourselves which others don't know. Um, those things only become public by disclosure, that is, if we decide to make them known. Um, and I don't think it's healthy if the majority of our life is in this category, below the waterline, as I say. We need to cultivate the habit of letting trusted friends know what is going on inside us. Um, that might be only one or two people. Um, but I think there are a lot in the, in the room who would resonate with that, that we, we do need opportunities to uh, uh, talk through those things which otherwise might remain just known to us. Um, there are some casualties in Christian service, aren't there, from our failure to do that, whether it's in relation to financial issues or sexual issues or our use of power or all kinds of other temptations. The third category are the blind spots and that also is in, intriguing to me um, the only way I discover what I don't know and other people do know is if there is some appropriate mechanism for feedback from other people allowing other people to speak to me honestly um, and again the problem sometimes in our leadership structures is that this hierarchical model which is uh, entirely inappropriate seems to uh, imply that people can't talk to us about those things we are hermetically sealed from that kind of feedback you know, after preaching for example there's very often no mechanisms for feedback and, and discussion let alone the more deep things of our lives so I think that this is worth looking at as well another trend in Christian organizations I notice is that we are catching up with what happens in other organizations with staff reviews and more sensible evaluation of how we're each doing and feeding back and uh, supporting one another in appropriate ways that's very good I think and then the fourth category 
Uh, something only God can see, in fact. It's not known to me, it's not known to you. And that's why I think we, we also rely on the Lord. We, why we are disciplined in relation to our listening, our praying, our reflection, our wider reading. To me, the wider reading, I've got a lot of uh, friends and mentors who are actually dead. And they are <laughs> feeding me in terms of uh, what they've written um, about Christian ministry and pastoral ministry and the like. Um, which begins, the Lord uses that to help me to see what otherwise I wouldn't have seen. Well, I, I don't try to overplay this point, um, but I do think it's very important to find support and accountability. I was at a conference, the IFS uh, conference, a short while ago. It was for all of the key leaders, that, as they call them, the general secretaries of the movements around the world. There are about 90 countries represented. And an extremely low percentage of those leaders in a, a survey which was done amongst them beforehand, had any kind of uh, formal group for support and accountability in place. Uh, it can be a, tr- a prayer triplet, it can be a small accountability group, it could be a ministry advisory group, it can just be close friends. I'm, I'm not wishing to overstate it. In fact, I think there's great wisdom in what Crocodile Dundee once said, you remember in the movie, where he couldn't work out why so many Americans were going to psychiatrists. And you say, why is that? Haven't they got any mates? And uh, there is some wisdom there. Um, you don't need too much in the way of structured uh, accountability or mentoring and the like if you've got some good mates. Third, the most obvious thing, uh, and I won't spend much time on it, is ministry effectiveness. The third reason why we need others. Um, it's obvious because this is the only way to get the job done effectively. Um, some of you remember Roy Castle. We were doing some stuff at Spring Harvest with him when he, he was uh, talking about the fact that he was in the Guinness Book of Records, I think just for a, a short period of time, uh, for playing the most number of musical instruments at one time. 22, I think it was, that he could play at one time all on his own. And that is not the model for Christian ministry. <laughs> and, um, and the New Testament uses the metaphor of the body for very obvious reasons. Well, here again, just in, in 2 Timothy 4, Titus, you'll notice, he's, he's actually quite well known. His name appears 13 times in the New Testament. And it was Titus who represented Paul in Corinth. You remember what we were talking about last night, and we'll say again tomorrow morning, some of the pressures that Paul faced and the difficult relationship he had with Corinth. Um, Titus was the diplomat. Um, Paul introduces him in 2 Corinthians 8. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker among you. Um, he'd helped with the offering, which in itself, the, the, you know, in the middle of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, is this business of the offering. Uh, Titus was very heavily involved in that, where again, uh, good teamwork, a fellow worker was needed. Um, he was the kind of fellow worker who, after pining, would go in and consolidate uh, in Titus 1, you remember when Paul wrote, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Well, that's the kind of fellow worker a lot of us need. Uh, the person who's the consolidator working uh, carefully, you can entrust a great deal to such a person. Uh, Tychicus is mentioned in verse 12 and also elsewhere in, in uh, Colossians and Ephesians. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, Paul says, He's mentioned four other times. And uh, he was with Paul when he travels to Jerusalem with the offering. And all the other references, he's carrying Paul's epistles. Uh, He carried the letter to Ephesus, to Colossians, and the letter to Titus in Crete. And since several of those letters were written in prison, here was another reliable fellow worker. Uh, No question that for for that kind of significant task, um, he had to be reliable and loyal 
a really trustworthy fellow worker. Um, Priscilla and Aquila mentioned in this passage as well. Um, Fred Bruce, one of his books about the, what he called the Pauline Circle, there are some married couples of whom their friends call to mind the wife first and immediately then remember there is a husband too. And um, this is the case with Priscilla and Aquila. She was a, probably a powerful lady. They mentioned six times. And uh, there's a very strong friendship here as well as a, a working relationship. Very interesting. Just follow what Priscilla and Aquila did. In the different, they were business people. Um, uh, also operating uh, uh, with a variety of outlets. They were tent makers. And um, so Paul had natural friendship with them by virtue of their professional interests. But he found employment and lodging with them in several places. And uh, in Rome, as well as Ephesus, they used their home for um, church ministry. They risked their necks for Paul in Ephesus. Paul commends them in Romans 16, My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me, not only I, but for all the, church, all the churches of the, of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Great fellow workers. And uh, just to mention Mark, this would be another another um, subject that we could explore because Mark, you remember um, had previously had a difficult time with Paul and yet here at the end of his life Paul says uh, you know, do bring along Mark, he's, he's very useful to me um, he was the person uh, which is a, again a characteristic of Paul's generosity of heart that despite Mark's earlier failures at least from Paul's perspective when he had to abandon Mark and now he's, he's saying, you know, I really, I really value him. I need him as a fellow worker. Well, there's much more we can say about all of that. Um, it is essential, this kind of uh, friendship and teamwork, it is essential for effective Christian ministry. Uh, we work well when we work together for, for the good of the whole, when we use our various gifts in a complementary, not a competitive manner. Uh, not holding on to things ourselves but constantly pulling in people in whatever way we can. Not concerned about personal reputation or our own achievements or glory, but concerned about shared purpose. Not thinking of our own omnicompetence, uh, but the many ways in which we need to build this group of fellow workers. I remember seeing a poster in a, an office, one of those inspirational posters, Teamwork. It means not having to take all the blame yourself. And uh, that's absolutely true, but there are more positive reasons too. It's really an essential ingredient. The fourth, uh, the final um, theme I wanted to, to throw in in relation to this question of loneliness and teamwork is planning for the future. A fourth reason why we need other people is that it is the way to build for the future. It's a serious mistake to imagine that the horizon for my Christian service is bounded by my lifetime or my particular ministry in this place, in this uh, formal office. We have to reflect on the future. And of course that's what this letter is all about. The most obvious thing about uh, this short letter is Paul's uh, deliberate attempt to uh, prepare others for leadership, notably Timothy, the text uh, here is all about Paul's concern for Timothy, to whom the letter was written. Um, he appears in the introduction of six of Paul's letters. Um, he was a very close working colleague, and he, clearly he was somebody who Paul wished to nurture and encourage in terms of future leadership. That's what he wrote, yeah, I put it on the screen, Philippians 2, I have no one else like him 
who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. So notice the language he's using. Um, this isn't uh, hierarchical, it's, it's uh, familial. This deep friendship and affection, he says uh, earlier on in this letter, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You know, it's a father, it's a son, it's a brother, it's a fellow worker. There's a deep uh, commitment here, which arises naturally for Paul in relation to his care and nurture of Timothy. Um, We might give it the term mentoring these days, but in my view that shouldn't be artificial, it shouldn't be contrived. Uh, For Paul, it was clear he saw in this young man someone of great potential, someone whom he could encourage and support, someone on whom he could place a great deal of responsibility. Um, And I think we do need sometimes to work away at that in a fairly deliberate and intentional way as we uh, seek, as we grow older, to raise up a new generation who are coming up in terms of leadership and responsibility. Um, I meet with one or two people not because I think I'm some kind of guru, but because I realize in my own uh, lifetime, particularly as a younger Christian, there were people um, who were doing this with me. It wouldn't, the language of mentoring hadn't been borrowed from the, the other side of the Atlantic when I was a kid. Um, it, was, it was friendship, it was normal shepherding, it was, it was part of you know, Christian ministry. I recognize how much I've received from those friendships. Um, and so I meet with a few, not, not in an a, a artificial way, I hope. It's not so much sitting down for formal counselling. It's very often working together, engaging together. Um, and of course in many churches in Britain now, I think mostly amongst the Anglicans, but uh, others can correct me, there are, there are very strong apprentice schemes, which I like very much, non-formal uh, training and equipping, uh, designed to encourage a new generation of leaders through this kind of day-to-day working, supportive friendship, training. Um, in fact, relates to it is, is the basic question of how, how we learn as people, how learning occurs. It occurs through interaction in our relationships. It is on the road learning. It's in pressurized situations. It's seeing you when you are uh, under pressure in your work, when you're under criticism. It's not simply passing down leadership manuals or going to a theological seminary or having a leadership training course. It is much more, for some of us, I think, the relationship of friend and brother, uh, servant, not a relationship of ruler or boss. Well, we need each other then for these four reasons, at least. Uh, For supportive friendship, for responsible accountability, for effective ministry, and for preparing for the future. But I didn't want to finish without one closing word of encouragement. Um, It's to do with the Lord's grace, since that's our theme at this conference, because the rest of the chapter, which I won't expound, does tackle other aspects of working with others. It includes opposition, it includes desertion, it includes uh, conflict. And Paul despite all the pressures he's facing, draws this lovely conclusion at the end of the letter. It was all the more acute. Remember, at my first defense, verse 16, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. It still keeps a lovely spirit, even if people walk away from him, like Demas, who, uh, who left him and left the Lord because he loved the world. Uh, all of those things put together, deserted and opposed and unsupported and imprisoned, freezing cold, facing the death sentence, about to leave 
And his testimony is in the closing verses. I just offer this as a little doxology. A strengthening presence. Verse 17. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And the four things I've mentioned are valuable, but there will be times when we feel the isolation, we feel the loneliness. Well, this verse comes into play at that point. I can't tell you how many times on my travels I've remembered this little phrase. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Now, that by the Spirit, we can count on the Lord's presence, his strengthening power, even in those desperate moments sometimes of loneliness and isolation, which we men and women, single, married, male, female, we all experience. Um, the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. That's how Paul concludes. Uh, he knows he has all of these friends. He's thankful to God. Uh, but at that moment, he was very isolated, a strengthening presence. Secondly, a wider purpose. I find it very intriguing to follow up what we said last night, verse 17, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So even at the end of his life, in this fairly desperate situation, that is still his vision, that the gospel would advance, that other people would benefit from the pressures he himself was facing, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 4. And that was why he lived, and that's now why he's going to die. And even through the present challenges of imprisonment and persecution, he knew the message would go out. It would perhaps go to the highest courts, maybe even before the emperor, he didn't know. But this moment of isolation and pressure also served that wider purpose, God's purpose for the advance of the gospel. Isn't that a fantastic way to look at your, the, the, the restrictions in which he found himself? And I think that's a great perspective on any kind of isolation and suffering. And the third and the final thing, a safe deliverance. Verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, I love the conclusion. It's full of certainty there. It reminds us of a very important truth that's uh, uh, important for Christian leaders. It's important for every Christian. And it's this. We are indestructible until our work is done. Uh, that's precisely what Paul is saying. Then eventually... I'll be carried off in this safe deliverance. The job's done. When the Lord knows it's done, he'll take me away. Uh, there's a, a great sense of confidence, isn't it? Um, that God has put me on earth to accomplish a certain number of things. Right now I'm so far behind, I'll never die. <laughs> but there is a moment, he says, uh, we've got the work God has given us and then safe deliverance. So even in the moments of uh, isolation, right at the end of this conversation, right at the end of his apostolic writing, he sees he's concerned with the well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Living Leadership Podcast. For more about Living Leadership, to connect with us, to give, or to sign up for regular prayer news, please visit livingleadership.org. Blessings.